0: Walk with me, talk with me, drop the mic for me, <laughs> all of these things. Good morning, good morning to uh, this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. If you're anything like me, your, your, your belly may still be a little full. Hopefully you got your steps in on Black Friday, or at least your fingers got their work. Uh, if you were doing your shopping online. Uh, Hopefully, you got some great time with your family, with friends, uh, neighbors, and just overall enjoyed this time. My name is Robert Moxley. We have now – good morning. We have now reached week five of the sabbatical. And this is the time when nerves are frayed, people are like (laughs) – I want real teaching, preaching and teaching. I right, where's J.D.? We're like a, you know, like a ship without a rudder, just tossed back and forth. But, I, but trust me, it's not like that. We are held by the Spirit of God. We have been graced with uh, four brothers coming before me who have preached the word powerfully. And I pray in the Spirit that God will allow me to continue to speak his word with faith and with fervor uh, for the encouragement and the building up of his people and of his church. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal King, good morning, Father. Thank you so much that we have this time to worship you. Thank you that we have been able to come off a week of giving thanks for everything that you've done in our life. Father, we know that everything has not necessarily been quote unquote good, but it's all to the good for those who've been called for your purpose, Lord. And we pray that you will be glorified in our circumstances. Father, I pray that you'll be glorified in our relationships, I pray that you will be glorified in our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, and our perseverance to see them fulfilled. Father, speak powerfully through your spirit. Lead me to share your word with conviction, with faith, with vigor, instilling hope in your people that you may be glorified and your church built. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I, I, I gave my word and my oath. As most, you know, It's time for us to wake up. So this will this this will be this will be the swan song for our dream our impromptu dream series. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna deep dive into it and then we're gonna wake up as if from a stupor and go off, go forth and do great things. So I want to talk today about you guessed it a little bit about dreams and my thoughts on it. And pardon me while my electronics um, takes a look at my face. So they can open up. On, Does it always make that groaning sound when y'all do that? It's like when it, when it reads mine, it's like, uh, but you know, I, I'm sure that's just the technology. Anyway, is that supposed to happen? Amen. Okay, so dreams, deferred or disruptive, how can you respond with faithfulness? Now starting with our brother Tom McCurry, on Halloween we discussed spiritual dreams, visions, and our responses to them. How do you respond with faith when your dreams are delayed or are quite frankly disturbing? Nathan Martin did a great job sharing about how Simeon and Anna persevered in serving God for decades at the temple while they were waiting for God to fulfill the vision he shared with, for them. They look forward to witnessing God's prophesied Messiah, his gift to mankind. Then Darius Garvida followed it up and explained the temptation to become jaded and cynical in the face of unfulfilled goals, unfulfilled dreams, and aspirations. Guarding our hearts from that poison and not spreading it to others requires deep faith and discipline. I also appreciate my brother, Dan Clark, who's especially excited today, something about an Iron Bowl win. He was coming in, recalling a miracle that he saw on the gridiron, so pardon him as he, as he shares the good news of Alabama football. But even before that, he was speaking of a greater, greater news when he was illustrating that when you're dealing with the creator of the universe, death is relative. I, your, your team was listening, Dan. Some would have said that Alabama was dead. You know, they would say, they dead? Partially dead? But no, God said not so. God is not a Thai fan, Albert Ice. It's just, it was just an illustrative point. You know what I'm saying? He didn't care. But the, when you're dealing with the creator of the universe, death is relative. The dreams and opportunities that we think are gone can be restored to life with the breath of God. I'm personally grateful for all the truths that these brothers have shared. And it caused me to reflect on my own experiences and my own responses to those, especially how I've responded to delayed, deferred, or denied dreams. In 1951, the poet Langston Hughes posed this question in his poem poem called Harlem. You may know it by another name. What happens? to a dream deferred. Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Langston posed that, and that is a powerful uh, imagery for us to take in, and, and that poem spoke on many levels about uh, to many people over the years, and here, 70 years later, is still is poignant. In truth, over the years, I've often struggled most in my faith when wrestling with these exact challenges. The prayers and encouragement of my brothers and sisters have helped me through these times. Also, the powerful examples for the faith, from the faithful men and women of the Bible have provided vital lessons on perseverance and response. Not all good, both good and bad. So turn with me to Genesis 37. Let's talk about a dream deferred, and our brother Joseph. He knew a little something about deferred dreams. Yes, he did. Come on. Come on, Joseph's dream of honor was not met with acceptance from his family, but rather hostility. The path to his exaltation was paved with years of abuse, neglect, struggle, and enslavement. Often, I know you probably guys probably can't relate to that, especially coming off Thanksgiving, but often, you guys just take my word on it, poor family dynamics can make it difficult to accept or see the best in one another. Let us praise our Heavenly Father, knowing he loves us all the same and willingly gave his beloved son to save us all." No favoritism in the family of God. Picking up in Genesis 37, and thank you those who are already wearing thin of my voice. Take heart. We're going to read, and my thoughts, because we're going to read the word. I believe in that. I believe the word has power, Amen. and it has the power to instruct and should be our baseline. And by the way, y'all thought I forgot Darius cut it short and said he was going to give y'all some minutes back, but y'all didn't know I banked those minutes, so, uh, <laughs> so buckle up. I, I, I just, in Genesis chapter 37, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. When Joseph arrived, skipping down to 15, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, Where are you looking for? What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. Is that Micah? That Micah must have read that scripture and heard that same thing. Hannah, you too, did y'all go to Dothan? So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother and our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning, will I go down to the grave to my my son, so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. You're still with me? Amen. The room didn't clear. I wanted to set the stage and say it powerfully in that word. Many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Some may not be. But it's an incredible tale. When I was rereading it, that, and that's just, you know, the opening salvo, it goes on uh, through verse 45 with a, uh, a small detour, of verse 38, uh, but talking about what he experienced and his journey. And quite honestly, when I, I've read it many times. He's one of my spirit heroes in the faith. But it, I just saw it with a different light. I guess a little older, a little grayer um, children, multiple children of my own. And it literally brought tears to my eyes, man, just what he went through. And what followed, many of you familiar with, was servitude in Potiphar's house. God blessed his work, but Satan hunted him with temptation and false accusations and ultimately imprisonment. And while in prison, God continued to bless Joseph in his work. But the recognition he desired eluded him, for he was forced into labor, forgotten, but he continued to serve God. It stood out to me how interesting it was that God was training Joseph throughout that whole time, training him on how to be an effective administrator and manager, first of a large estate, of Potiphar's home and of his household, and then of a a prison system. If you go on to read in both accounts, both Potiphar and the jailer, once Joseph was there and it was clear that God was with them, they literally said, you got it, I'm just concerned myself with something to eat. Was like, just don't touch my wife, everything else is yours. The jailer was like, You got this. I mean, so, um, (laughs) I don't know how it it spoke to that's that's amazing worker. If you have some work for you to just literally, Hey, I'm about to vacate in place, Joseph is here, he's got this. But that is how thoroughly and how how thoroughly efficient and effective he was, and, and more so, how much God imbued him with insight with diligence, with talent, that it was so evident to all that I don't want to mess it up. When that guy does it, it's excellent. It's right. Now, granted, this is in, this is in as enslavement, and this is in a prison, but his light was still shining. Even as a youth, his father, Jacob, probably didn't help the brother relationship, but he, was, <laughs> he relied on Jacob to go and get a report from, on the status of the flock, And on what his brothers were doing in the field. You know, probably a great, thanks dad for alienating me from my brothers who already hate me, but turned me me into the tattletale. But he knew Joseph would go and get an accurate report and come back to him and let him know exactly what was going on. Not only was God deepening his faith, but he was refining his character and preparing him to lead and manage. Not just lead and manage effectively, but expertly. During difficult times in adverse conditions, and amongst hostile people. Very specific in the training, God's plans for Joseph could only be fulfilled after his faith, mind, and character were refined. In this way, Joseph really exemplifies the same process of exaltation through suffering that Jesus perfected. Don't turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Perfection through suffering. Now again, we won't fully go through all the story. I want to skip ahead to verse 45, but eventually Joseph was freed due to his God-given ability to interpret dreams. Once he decoded God's message for Pharaoh about the impending drought, Joseph was given charge over the entire country of Egypt in order to lead them through the famine and the scarcity that the drought brought, and Joseph, that scarcity brought Joseph's family to him and led to them being reunited. And I'll read a few verses in verse 45, verse 3 to 11. Chapter 45, thank you, sir. Genesis 45, verse 3 to 11. So Joseph now has been exalted, and now he's met with his brothers, he's put them on through a little ruse, and finally he can't contain it anymore. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshan and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become desolate." I love it here because at the conclusion of this detailed and, 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 and really just heartbreaking story, Joseph is able to celebrate God's plan in it all. Sold into slavery by his brothers at age 17, enslaved in a home, falsely accused and imprisoned. Finally, he was exalted at age 30. And then, or a little before, and then around age 32 when he was reunited with his family. Ultimately, 13 years of slavery and imprisonment, 15 years being alienated from his family, all the while guarded and graced by God while being groomed to lead Egypt as it led that entire region, that entire part of the world through the famine. It was for a purpose. How about you? I would dare say that none of us have experienced the depth of suffering and neglect and misfortune that Joseph suffered. Dare I say, we have, speaking for myself, we have experienced a fraction of that and wonder, why has God left us? Why has God forsaken us? Why is God not, not honoring my dreams and my prayers and leading me on this path that he showed me so clearly or I believe or I desire so much? How about you? Will you remain faithful if your dream challenges the faith of those around you? Not everybody's going to be excited about your dream or your vision or what God has called you to. Will you abandon God's plan when it leads you through unexpected journeys and deep pits of struggle? Yes, God's plan can lead you through deep pits of struggle. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When your shepherd says that, you might want to pay attention. It's like, okay, wait, shadow of death, is that, is that east of uh, Ridgeway, or is that, is, that, is that by five points? <laughs> no, that's the shadow of death. That doesn't sound good, but I got you. So things will get hairy, but I've got you. It's lonely, and it's terrifying at the bottom of an empty cistern. It's not pleasant. How will you remain faithful to God when the world and life circumstances call God's plan for you and your life a lie? Because it will. All of that time, Satan was working diligently. Just as much as God had a plan, Satan had a plan on how to discourage, dissuade, disturb, and, 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 and set Joseph apart from that to get him to deny God, to get him to give up hope, to get him to give in. Credit to God and credit to that brother for remaining faithful through dire circumstances. If you haven't experienced times like this, you will. Develop the habit now of relying on God and relying on his word to direct you through times of uncertainty and times of doubt. You've got to develop the habit. You can't wait till you're at the bottom of a cistern to start, to start learning how to pray. What that scripture say? Somebody should always quote it to me. What was that? You develop that habit daily now as you seek and reach out to God. They're preparing you, they're strengthening you, they're fortifying you for what's ahead. If you've been down this road before, and I know many of you have, remember, remember how God delivered on his promises Amen. and encourage those who have not experienced their deliverance yet. They're amongst us. We've got to remember. It can be easy to forget. I can imagine Joseph, could have, it could have been easy for him to get real comfortable in the palace in Egypt. Like, okay, all right, dues paid. We're up now. You know what I'm saying? It's all good. But he didn't. You know, the famine helped that. He still had a mission. He still was working, and he still was honoring God. And as a result, he was able to provide a safe haven for his family and help make sure that God's plan for Jacob and his family came to fruition. In Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, it says, Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us very familiar, Jeremiah 17, verse seven and eight. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It is not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry, no worries in a year of drought. It has no worries in seven years of drought. It has no worries in the year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. How is God allowing your present struggles, Greater Huntsville Church, your, your present disappointments, to prepare you for the lofty plans that God has for your life? Wow. The plans haven't changed. You just didn't know the route. You didn't, you didn't know how you were going to get there. And dare I say, the deeper the valley, the deeper the cistern, the deeper the disappointment, the greater the preparation, the greater the glory, the greater the opportunity that God is preparing you for. So, we've talked about dreams deferred. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read briefly about disruptive dreams of godly change. Just a a little compare and contrast in Acts chapter 10. God used a dream to call Peter to a broader view of his kingdom. In this vision, he was given a choice and a challenge, remain comfortable in the church culture he knew, or disrupt the status quo to embrace God's vision. Let's see about how Peter handled this opportunity in Acts chapter 10. Warning, scripture to follow. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Take a quick break for a minute and think about that. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In Cornelius, we see that God is moved by acts of faith and acts of righteousness by those who seek him and and provides a means for them to come and be made right with them. So though they may walk in darkness, they are seeking the light of God. They are in earnest making steps of obedience and taking steps to seek and pursue God. And we see also from this that God recognizes that. Their actions and their steps are not in vain. Roshan, this came up in the study with Mr. Roshan Hall. And I thought about him when I read this scripture. And, and we were going talking about spiritual darkness and light. And he said, man, what about the things? I know I was seeking God when I was, you know, before. I was praying. I was seeking him in earnest. If I'm in darkness, are you saying I'm separated from God? All of that's in vain? And it was like, no, God heard you. God saw you. God recognized that your love for him. And he prepared a way for you to be made right with him. God is working to reach those who seek him, and he is preparing us to be ready to reach out to them and to show them the way to him. It's not in vain. Picking back up in verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Set another aside. have you ever been so hungry you fell into a trance? <laughs> so Josh was talking about it, and he surprised me. and said, yeah, any act of love you show me related to food, I feel you. That, that, body, that brother's body's been optimized to do that. I, I, had a, I had moments of doubt when he said that. Really? You like food that much? You don't doubt that coming from me. <laughs> when I say that that's real, that, that food is a real love language, you believe it. You say, that brother's speaking the truth, his truth. Come on. I would often, coming up to Thanksgiving, I would skip breakfast, you know, to help ensure I was in prime condition come dinner time. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it is time, this is the Super Bowl, a feast, I gotta be ready, you know what I'm saying? It was like, this is it, stretching out, getting ready. But I learned after a few of those hungry chances, you know, I've got got a little older with this gray hair, I'm like, I need to eat a little little something. I need to nibble on a protein bar, have a little light snack, because it just took a few of those times to go, and sure enough, something needs lifting, chairs needs put up, you know, things need to be put in, you know, you do a lot of those pre-dinner chores, and the brother starts to get hangry. And, uh, and there's nothing, there's nothing good that can come from a pre-Thanksgiving hangry episode, <laughs> or trance. You know what I'm saying? So, I can understand I can appreciate that brother Peter. He said, let me go to the roof, let me pray, <laughs> because this food is taking a while. I'm, happy, I'm, I'm, I'm hallucinating. I don't know what I'm seeing. And To that point, the past couple of years, we've been enjoying plant-based Thanksgiving meals in our home. And Camille's been diligent about finding plant-based or vegan recipes to substitute or alternatives to customary Thanksgiving dishes. And it's been great. Loved it. No drop off. Well, this year at the last minute, we decided to go up to Nashville to spend Thanksgiving with my parents and my sister. And so you know this was about Tuesday. We confirmed these plans. And so my mom had a pretty traditional Thanksgiving planned. So we brought up the meals that we were preparing, combined it with hers, and you know that was the feast. So it was a good a good conglomerate. And so I got to enjoy some meat with our Thanksgiving for the first time in a couple of years. And I was reminded of something that Peter learned that day. Ain't nothing wrong with a little porky pork from time to time. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that, you know, so I, I, was, I was feeling coming to Thanksgiving, I was like, that ham just hit different. You know what I'm saying? After being after, you know, off for a while. So y'all pardon me, but I can relate. That trance and that all things are clean. I was like, oh, man, all right, preach, God. Tell that man about that. In verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so go up, get up, and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. What if, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon and Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Quick break. Are you that diligent to hear God's word? Are you that diligent to gather those who you love or who are important to you when God's word is being preached? Cornelius um, is, it, it humbles me. Yeah. A God-fearing man, a man who uh, recognized the power of God and sought to serve those in his community despite his power and stature and those in his household with love. And he sought God. He had a heart after God and he sought God and God responded. So much so that even a, as being a Gentile he had earned the respect of the Jewish people in his community. Even so, And so he was brought together and said, please, God was preparing his heart. We got to believe that not only there are people who deeply love God, God is preparing their heart to hear the message. And when they get an opportunity to hear the word preached, to hear the truth shared, they will be receptive and responsive to it. And they will share that truth to those around them. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And Peter went on and preached the good news about Jesus, shared how he performed miracles, how he was killed, uh, how he rose again on the third day, and how he was our Lord, and how it was our job to live in obedience and in service to him And while he was sharing the good news, in verse 44 it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It, Peter was prepared by his vision from God that no, nothing that I have made is unclean or impure. It is a new day. Go with these men. I have sent them for you to share the truth of the gospel with them so that they may know salvation. And if you have any doubt, the same Holy Spirit, that gave witness at Pentecost. I will bless and pour on this, on this group. Amen. Peter was convinced. But there were some apostles and brothers out in the Gentile uh, that, that heard it, some other leaders in the Jewish synagogue and in the faith who were of Jewish uh, heritage who were not as convinced. They heard word that Peter was out there gallivanting with the Gentiles. <coughs> and they wanted to have words. So Peter shared with them his trance, his prayer, his vision, the instructions he received from God, what, the good news that he shared, and exactly how God responded. And in verse 11, verse 15, it says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I? to think that I could oppose God. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. I appreciate y'all's patience in bearing with me. I believe those words were very instructive. And I I encourage you to go back and look. And I chose that um, to talk about some of the challenges that Peter faced we are often faced with those same choices in our modern world. Do we resist God and submit to the cultural norms that have already been established? Or do we obey God? Do we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit and disrupt the ungodly conditions that are hindering God's church? We are, when we're faced with that, like Peter, we have clear guidance from God. We have clear guidance from his word on what his kingdom should be and what his kingdom should do and like Peter we are called to make a choice and I'm asking you Greater Huntsville Church will you resist God to protect the comfort of your family your culture or your church even this church I had to get very comfortable I had to get comfortable being uncomfortable as this church has grown and taken on new life and I had had to get recalibrated Saying this was the church I was a part of. This wasn't our church. You know, there's no how we do things. This is what we had prayed for. And it helped me, and I was feeling a tension and a resistance. And when I prayed to God, it made it clear. It's like, you have to get reacquainted. I'm doing new things in the Greater Huntsville Church. I'm bringing new people to bring new contributions. And when I took that approach, it freed me up to say, man, what new things will God do? How will God continue to grow this church, to be excited to take part in what God was building here in Huntsville within and amongst us? But what about you? Will you honor God and submit to the Holy Spirit and ensure that your life, that his church, reflect his glory? In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You never thought you'd see the day. You never thought you'd see the time. But as I conclude, somebody got it. (laughs) Let us be people who persevere through struggles, through trials, and through disappointments. Let us be those people remaining confident that God is working in us transformation. He's preparing us to share in his glory. It's happening. You may have forgotten. You may not have realized. You may have been too blinded by your suffering, by the unjust accusations, by the relentless temptation. You think Potiphar's wife took a day off? No. He lived there, that he was her property. You gonna do what I say, boy. He could have given in, he was relentlessly pursued, but he resisted against, his, a new, well, he knew would dishonor God. <clears throat> How are you resisting? How are you putting up that fight? When you are called to disrupt the comfort of an ungodly situation, be faithful in your obedience to God. Let his glory and the glory of his kingdom be your utmost concern. It means uncomfortable conversations. I'm not comfortable in uncomfortable conversations. I like it to be jovial. God has a plan, um, and he balances us out. My wife is comfortable in uncomfortable conversations. She thrives in it. She yearns in it. You know, she was like, Robert, you know, she got like, one time we are talking, like, you got to have this talk with your family. And I was like, it's a bit uncomfortable. It's a dark. You know, I just feel like, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And she just looked at me and her voice changed. like, you only adopted uncomfortableness. I was born in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, just pain. I was like, okay. I just, she just, I was like, what's going on? I'm sorry, father. I just, you know, like, you have to get, get you have to just embrace it. But I appreciate her heart. Because when she feels like God is being dishonored, when she feels like the truth is being silenced, when she feels like sin is being undealt with, it, 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 it just bubbles up and she can't deal with it. She can't let it lie. And I've learned a lot from her. Be like that when you encounter uncomfortable situations in your life. Don't let it lie. Think about God's glory and honor. I shared with you at the beginning some thoughts that uh, the poet, great poet Langston Hughes shared and some questions he asked. And I want to share <clears throat> just my thoughts in response. So when your dreams are deferred or disturbing, don't let your love for God dry up. Don't fester with bitterness or let your spirit become rotten. Avoid the fake sugary highs of the world and don't become crushed by the weight of his expectations. Instead, immerse yourself in the presence of God and explode with the fruits of his Holy Spirit. In Romans, I'll leave, in Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your time and attention today, amen.